Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Imperfect, where we discuss masculinity and manhood more intentionally and purposefully. On this episode, I have Jason Lee. Jason is the CEO of Jubilee Media, a digital media company that believes in the power of empathy for human good. Their belief is that as the world gets more and more divided, they want to be the company that brings people together, that inspires empathy and inspires love. You might recognize them and their name from some of their YouTube series, Spectrum, Middle Ground, Both Sides, and Odd Man Out, as well as some others. Their topics include conversations on many different topics, including religion, race, gender, sex, money, and so, so much more. Together, their YouTube channel has over 5 million subscribers and over 1 billion views. For those that know me, uh, this is a dream interview of mine. Jason was literally one of the people I had on my dream guest lists when I was first crafting the idea for this podcast. I've been a fan of Jubilee for years and have viewed their mission and vision and the work that Jason has done as a leader to be kind of a, a distant mentor and guide ever since watching them. So this episode was, I was super nervous for but I think I did pretty well uh, given the context. And on this episode, we talk about the power of empathy and what that looks like and, and just discussing empathy as a whole, whether we should be recreating masculinity from scratch or using some of the practices and, and beliefs from the past and how it affects Asian men in specific. We went into a little bit of that at the end as well. I really hope you enjoy this episode. I know with everything going on in the world right now, you know, it may seem that it, it doesn't matter, but this conversation is really geared more towards empathy, but also trying to understand each other as humans. And you can actually go to their YouTube channel. They have done a lot of videos with black voices, discussions with cops and police, black conservatives and black Democrats. There's tons of conversations there focused on on the voices of black lives and i highly recommend that you go check those out as we continue to further our education on the on the subject and the work that jubilee has done so i really hope you enjoy this episode and thank you for listening okay so today i am with a very special guest to me actually jason before we even get into it i'll even just say ever since i started this podcast i've had a list of dream guests that I really want to have on this podcast, and you've always been in the top 10. So the fact that we're even doing this today, all my friends know ever since I started this podcast, how much of a dream kind of come true this is for me. So thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me, Luke. I'm honored. I'm honored to be in your top 10, and I'm happy <laughs> we're able to finally make this happen. Yeah, me as well. So, you know, the first question I always ask my guest, Jason, is if there was one person you could have over for dinner, dead or alive, who would it be, and what would you cook for them? That's a really good question. I think the first person that popped into my head was Tupac Shakur, mm. who is, I think, the best rapper of all time. But also, And primarily, I would want to talk to him just because I would want to hear his take on race, religion, gender, and everything right now in 2020 when it feels like so many of these things are coming to a head. I'd just really be curious about his perspective. And I probably would cook to him. I would probably want to cook something like a Korean for him. Mm -hmm. Something like um, kalbichim. Kalbichim is like a, like a braised beef. And it's like my favorite dish ever. So I would want to kind of like introduce him to some of that if, if he hadn't had that already. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good answer. I haven't heard Tupac Shapur yet. So that is a, a fantastic answer. And when it comes to the mission of Jubilee, I'm really interested in... And, and one of the reasons I reached out to you in the first place 
was because masculinity has been a huge focus at Jubilee. So I guess kind of first to that is what does Jubilee do? And then why is masculinity such an important conversation for you in that journey, in that process and what Jubilee does? Yeah, it's a good question. For the folks who might not know Jubilee Media, we are a digital media company and we exist to create a movement of empathy for human good. So we primarily make YouTube videos, but all of our content is focused on bridging people together, challenging conventional thinking, and really embracing empathy. And one of the reasons why I think we, we tackle masculinity pretty frequently is just it's, it's something that is obviously like half of, you know, so much of the population has had to grapple with this kind of framework or structure or this idea. As a man, it's something that I think that we've been forced to reevaluate in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and question what does masculinity even mean. And a lot of times with Jubilee, we're not trying to make a point or convince someone of a conclusion, but rather it's an exploration into sometimes the nuance and sometimes some of these really difficult questions about how some of these things have come to be where they are and whether or not they're okay and how do we find our place in that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a beautiful thing too. And I loved how you said that you're not trying to offer really a conclusion. It's an exploration. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to do with this podcast is really, I don't want to create a box of what masculinity means. And mm-hmm. I think what we're doing right now is we take this kind of traditional framework of masculinity and we say that's wrong, but then we're trying to create this entirely new definition. So we're still keeping it boxed in in a certain way. And I don't want to keep it boxed in. And which is why I really love that process that you're just trying to have conversations. And that's one of the reasons mm-hmm. I'm so tied to Jubilee in the first place and, and love so much of, your, of the content is because, and even though sometimes I might disagree with, you know, some, I guess, the thoughts that people have, I still respect it. And you see where those, those ideas are coming from, which allows that empathy to be created. Like, I just think it's such a fantastic journey in and of itself. And one of the models I'm trying to emulate with what I'm doing here. I appreciate it. I think you're doing a fine job at it. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, but in, in terms of like the conversations, obviously there's, for those who don't know, there's different styles of Jubilee content with Spectrum, with Middle Ground. And you've explored masculinity in kind of those different settings. What has that shown? And what has that different context allowed you to see about masculinity within yourself and as with or within culture as a whole? Yeah, I think a lot of times we'll group certain people or identities together and say all X people think this way. And that was one of the things that we just wanted to begin to first explore and demonstrate was like not all men think the same or not all Asian Americans think the same or not all LGBTQ members think the same. But rather, there's, obvious, there's often a huge variance in thought and perspective. So when we even talk about masculinity, for example, we did a spectrum episode, which literally shows a spectrum of thought there, asking what does masculinity mean or what does it mean to be a man? So a lot of times when we even start having these discussions, we almost are starting at the most introductory or the most like phase one level of the discussion, which is, what if people actually have a different point of view of what it means to be a man based on our personal perspective, based on our upbringing, based on our culture? And I think that has kind of introduced me and our audience to so many different perspectives. And like you, I don't agree with all of them, 
but a lot of times what I find a lot of joy in and what I know that we're doing the right thing is when I hear stories or I even feel stories myself of saying, wow, this is a perspective I never really thought about. Mm-hmm. I never even heard before. And I think it's a valid one. Mm-hmm. To me, we hear so much now in the current age and, and conversation of masculinity that you know, to be a man is to cry. And I, I don't like that label just as much as I don't like the label that men can't cry. I think, you know, for mm-hmm. myself, even though I'm a, I'm a highly emotional, highly sensitive person, but I can't really remember the last time I cried, but I, I get teary eyed. I've never defined the ability that I can cry as part of my masculinity. And so uh, those conversations and, and even the side of like being muscular and fit, that's a sign of masculinity or, mm-hmm. you know, performance in the bedroom, that's a sign of masculinity. There's just so many different angles to the conversation that it seems weird to me that anyone tries to box it in in the first place, which is why, you know, I take inspiration from some of the conversations that you've had. And I try to segment almost my audience into different categories and and see what they can offer about specific forms of masculinity, rather than conversing about the entire conversation, I guess, and and try to niche it down and and challenge my own Mm -hmm. thoughts, because I don't want to, like, I'm on a journey to discover what it means. And I don't think we can ever get to what it actually means in like one sentence or one word. It's so personal yeah. to us and how we're raised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're, you're really hitting the nail on the head there where we have this kind of inclination or desire to put labels and boxes on things. And you see this from everything from, you know, politics. Like if you are a Republican, you believe X, Y, Z, these lists of like a hundred things. And if you're a Democrat, you believe in these other hundred things. And how can that be true for one individual? It's kind of nonsensical. Or put another way, I hear a lot of people who are, you know, 20 or 30 years old, and they'll say like, I'm not creative. Like I'm not a creative Mm. person. And I'll say, "Hmm, how do we even come to this idea that like someone is not a creative person? Because in my view, it's not someone can be classified as creative and someone is not. Rather, we all are creative, right? And we yeah. all have different abilities maybe there and have different like inclinations to build that. But I, I kind of think about masculinity the same way. Like mm-hmm. we have tried to label it and put it in a box in a lot of ways of these are the attributes of a man or a masculine. But a lot of things that we've attributed to, whether it's strengths or sports or whatever these things are, are falsely attributed and in no way should define a man or what it means to be a man or should be gendered. So many things there, but I I think that you're right that we're starting to deconstruct a lot of, you know, kind of the assumptions that perhaps like older generations or historically we've had. And I think it's a really important examination. Yeah. And I loved with when you did the spectrum that it was with an NFL player, which is almost counterintuitive, I guess, to what people think of the current age of masculinity that men are getting weak. But you had, I believe his name was Kevin Long, come on and be part of that. Kyle Long, come on and be part of that conversation, which is cool to me that we're seeing these men like Terry Crews even coming on and representing something that they're not perceived to be because of their physical appearance or because of their background, both being NFL players, both being strong and muscular, but they're saying you can be soft hearted and this, that it's not one or the other. They're not mutually exclusive. So I thought almost that was even a more powerful 
sign and um, I guess motivation that to people that may be you know apprehensive of the new wave of masculinity that oh it's an it's an NFL player here doing it and so I can follow that lead too because as much as Mm -hmm. we may hate to admit it seeing people that we respect or highly regard do something first is a is a great way of of adapting to that new conversation or new construct totally totally I think that we're definitely seeing more awareness and I think there still is a lot of work to be done, right? Not only in like the way that we introspectively think about masculinity and what it means to be a man, but then if we go to the next level, we we have to start thinking about how has gender and men essentially created an infrastructure where we are maybe disadvantaging women or Mm. creating an imbalance in that structure, right? And I think it's so important to redefine what it means to be a man, but also to recognize that you know, just historically, like a lot of men have been in power and therefore have been the one to create like a very, very imbalanced power structure for, for women too. And what would it mean for us to help create a better, more like equal normal for all mm-hmm. of us? So there's yeah. so many things here. Yeah. It is interesting how that is so, so part of the conversation, but some men either have struggles identifying it or believing that that's a reason. And these kind of different gendered conversations like it is a fascinating topic to even break down or pursue thinking because of just you know i can't relate to a woman i can hardly relate to a man in a different community that was raised differently than i i am so the idea that empathy is kind of the fundamental base of that change is really the most fascinating part of it. And I was actually just having this conversation with a friend the other day is that empathy doesn't come naturally to me. I don't, at least I don't think it does. And that's why I try to watch all the uh, Jubilee videos because I think you do have to practice it. It's, it's much like creativity where you do have to practice empathy. You have to build that muscle. And that's something I've, I felt like I've always struggled with. And I was having that mm. conversation the other day as, as I knew that we were leading up to this conversation is like, this is kind of something I want to bring up is how do you empathize because even empathy can be seen as a weakness from a lot of men potentially in, in how you relate to other people. Wow. Yeah. First of all, I love what you kind of are saying about empathy as a muscle. I kind of firmly believe that everyone is capable of and deserving of empathy, but I do believe it is a muscle that you have to exercise and that you can become better at being empathetic or understanding. But yeah, I mean, the way that I define empathy is, First of all, being able to listen to and understand someone else's perspective. So fully listen to and understand someone's perspective doesn't mean agree or condone mm. or endorse, but just understand where that person is coming from. And not only that, to be able to articulate it back to them mm. and almost demonstrate that understanding. So, you know, there's so many different facets of empathy and empathy is very different than sympathy, right? Sympathy is like, oh man, you just lost your you just lost your dog. I'm so sorry. That must be so terrible. Mm-hmm. Empathy is more, man, I know what it feels like. I've never lost a dog before, but I know what it feels like to have lost something and what, how you must feel. And I want you to know that I understand that feeling. Right. Mm-hmm. So I do think that, um, I don't actually know if this is something that's natural to any of us, to be honest, mm. because I think that we're so focused. You know, I know I am, I'm so focused on myself and what I want and, what I'm trying to build or do in my life that is hard sometimes to pause and say, Hey, I feel you and mm-hmm. I hear you and I connect with you. 
That said, I think it's when we're demonstrating empathy that we often actually feel the most human. And I mm. think that's when we feel the most connected and happy. I think that is so true. And I, and I love the point you made about articulating it back to them as a key component of the action. It's not that just that you, you heard them, but you reflected back their feelings or, or your feelings or you, know, you, you showed a, a sign to them. You communicated with your language or your body that, that you heard, that you understand. And I, I never really thought about empathy in, in that way before from an articulation back standpoint. So I, I really mm. think that's a enlightening piece of the component. Yeah, totally, totally. And so kind of in regards to, we've, we've talked a little bit about the restructuring or, or recreation of masculinity or, or at least maybe the stereotypes or the archetypes. In, in regards to, you know, toxic masculinity, do mm. you believe that it exists? Do you believe it exists in the way that the world currently says it does? I'm really interested in, in that conversation because, you know, you've been part of those conversations at a, at a global scale or at least a global impact. And I'm, I'm really interested in seeing your viewpoint on it now and whether or not you think it's as bad or what it's said to be is actually there. Yeah, this is a really interesting one. I think that if you were to look at what is what has happened, you know, in current events, I think that toxic masculinity is a real thing. That said, I think that we have to start to look at the root of this and why some of these behaviors and things are happening. Mm-hmm. So yes, we should call out and say, man, toxic masculinity is bad. Look at all these bad actors. We got to like put them away. Mm-hmm. or tell them to stop or shame them. That's what a lot of people will say. But for me, yes, I, I, wanna, I don't want to condone that activity, but I also want us to like deconstruct why is it that a lot of men are acting like this in the first place. When we look at even things like the Me Too movement and sexual assault and all the different ways that men are hurting and, yeah, let's say hurting other women, let's say, Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of that is a function of like our, the way that we've been raised and the paradigm that we've been taught. Mm-hmm. So if we were to put it really simply, like if you're a child who's taught, yeah, you have to pursue, you have to like go out and get what you want. You have to assert your dominance, whether it's in sports or win or all these things, mm-hmm. then how are we to, you know, when someone continues to do that, They've, they've almost been conditioned or thought to do that. So that is why like a lot of these things are happening as adults. Mm-hmm. So I'm not in any way saying that that activity is okay. I just think that we have to recognize that we're all kind of responsible for this paradigm that we've kind of like built. Mm-hmm. We haven't built, but that's been built for us. And we actually have to unlearn a lot of those things mm-hmm. that have been taught to us like almost systematically about what it means to be a man. Because those things are clearly leading to a lot of toxicity, a lot of pain, a lot of harm. Mm-hmm. And and so, in regards to some of the things that you have to, we have to unlearn. What are some of the things that you think are are most prominent from your point of view? I just think about it from like a human point of view. This idea of like this is tricky. There's so much nuance. I just think about like relationships mm-hmm. and uh, romantic relationships. So as a dude or as a young person, young guy, you're kind of taught to pursue women or pursue 
whoever you're interested in, and you have to be confident, right? So then there are the stories that you hear of like, oh yeah, I reached out to her. She wasn't really interested, but I kept on pursuing her. I showed up with flowers. I showed up outside her window with a boom box over my head. Yeah. And slowly she relented. She was like, okay, I'll date you, right? Mm-hmm. And then not only men, but all of us look at that story and say, oh my God, that's so romantic. Like, wow, he like really persisted and he really pursued her, even though she was saying no. And finally she said yes. Mm. Think about that same exact story. And let's say the outcome wasn't that she said yes, but rather continue to say no and said, no, please, no, please stop. Mm-hmm. That then becomes an example of what I would call like toxic masculinity or at least inappropriate behavior that we wouldn't condone, right? So what is the difference actually between the actions of those two individuals? Nothing actually really, it's just the outcome. Mm. So why are we kind of endorsing or even supporting like this kind of like action or this kind of initiative even? So it's hard because on one hand, I wouldn't say to guys, you shouldn't pursue a girl or you shouldn't pursue someone because in some ways I think that that is important. And in the same way, I wouldn't say to a woman, don't pursue a man. I would say, Mm -hmm. hey, or don't pursue a woman if you're interested. Like, on the other hand, what we also have not taught to people is listen to that person. Hey, Luke, I really, really like you. You say, I'm not really interested. We do need to start listening better and recognizing that it is not like a one size, one shoe, you know, fits all, right? Mm. There is a lot there that I think that we've been taught And I'm not surprised as to why some of these things are happening in our society when, you know, a lot of it, especially as young people, like as a young man, a lot of our behavior and a lot of, a lot of it was just to go out and try to date, try to, you know, I remember in, um, this is such a weird memory, but we had like fifth grade dance, fifth Mm -hmm. grade, sixth grade dances. And the goal for every guy was to go and try to dance with as many girls as you could. Yeah. So, right. Like, and if you just think about it, like, I don't know if I had a cousin who was that age and said, Oh man, I danced with 12 people. I'd be like, Oh, that's awesome. You know, like the Mm -hmm. more the better. Right. But we're kind of like saying, yeah, this is a conquest or this is a goal. And we're not really thinking about the other folks as individuals. So Mm -hmm. even as I say this, I'm like trying to unpack, a lot of things that I've learned perhaps along this, along this journey. Well, I think it's so interesting that you described it in the, even the way of pursuing someone. Cause I never thought of that really as toxic myself. And, and we're taught from a young age that going after what you want is really the way to, to get it. And even when I was a kid, my mom would take me to like a, a job interview or, you know, if I was 16, I w- she would take me. And then if I didn't get it the first time, I go back again, I go back again, mm-hmm. I go back again until, you know, I get it because that persistence pays off. It's the same thing with sales. You know, you call two, three times, like to do some of the things in my role, I followed up like 10 times to acquire someone for work. And that is along the same system, but you know, I'm not ever really getting a verbal no when I do that. I'm just getting no response. And mm-hmm. so that's what one thing I, I find so interesting about all the conversations right now is that there's just so much gray in our lives, in our daily conversations. And we, we want to prove so much to other people that we're able to get that girl more to the other people than really to that girl. And that is, I think, 
where mm. maybe the danger lies. If you really want a girl and they they always talk about or at least in TV shows, they, they talk about the chase. They like the, they like the chase. They like the games. I'm not a huge fan of games in my personal life. I just want to know, <laughs> but those conversations or that, that portrayal in society of the constant pursual, I've never thought about actually being a dangerous part of masculinity or even humanity, but you I've read books. I even have it on my desk right now. It's called the ego boom. And the whole introduction is about how we're so focused on what we, what we want, how the world serves us with, you know, social media is customizable to all of our needs. Everything is built around what we require, except mm. a lot of the traditional things like relationships or human connection. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. And I want to be clear that I don't think that I don't think persistence is a bad thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, like I, I think there's so many attributes that are so important. I think when I think of toxicity, it is kind of to what you're saying, this idea of awareness and consideration of others. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of where I would draw the line. It's not even, hey, I'm really interested in this dude or I'm really interested in this girl. I, I want to reach out to her. Like, I don't think that that's a problem at all. I think it's mainly when we're hearing the no and continuing I think that's that's where we get a really slippery slope that we've got to reconsider what that means to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what's led us to a lot of Me Too movement and all these things where it's baffling to me, this happens so often, that a man and a woman, or two individuals, let's say, because it doesn't always have to be a man and a woman, right? Mm-hmm. But two individuals go on a date, and they have a great time, and they have drinks, and they hang out, and something happens whether it's like afterwards in a bedroom or later and two of them can come out with two completely different understandings of what happened Mm. one person can come out and say oh my god we had an amazing time uh it was so much fun blah blah blah. and the other person say i was so uncomfortable i can't believe this happened i'm considering calling the cops when you hear that for me that's like a huge alarm bell it'd be Mm. different if both individuals walked out and said oh yeah that was really crappy i think something bad happened here Mm-hmm. Or, but when two people earnestly have different interpretations, that for me, and it happens enough that I don't think it's these individuals are necessarily some, there are some individual bad actors, let's just call it like it is. There are some just bad dudes or bad people mm-hmm. out there, but there are a lot of good, well-meaning people who are just making terrible mistakes or starting to not realize what is happening. And I think that's not toxic masculinity, but I think that is a byproduct of very misogynistic culture and Mm. things that we've been taught that we've got to unlearn. Yeah. I think a lot of young men fear that conversation too. They, they fear looking in the past and, and having that realization that two different things did occur. And that's an experience that I'm like, what do you do in that Mm. scenario? That's one of the reasons I even try to stay away from hooking up and whatnot, because it can be, unclear at times and and it's i've always been taught or been tried to teach by my parents the idea of you know wisdom at all times even that if that means you're making a safe decision it it sometimes can be an an unwise decision Mm -hmm. and you know i've not always listened to that advice because i grow older and i see all this gray area you do realize that it is hard to define those lines and, and understand if, if both parties aren't communicating the entire time or if both parties aren't in the same space as each other or, or reading the cues. And, and that's where mm-hmm. I, I find that it's really hard to always have those conversations because 
it is complicated if, if it's not clear and the conversations around no means no, but then there's so many different things that also mean no. And Mm -hmm. it's like, where is the line for young men to understand that if they're not taught by their fathers or someone else? But I feel like it's really easy for fathers not to have that conversation because it's something that we're scared of. And I think that a lot of men have to own in their life that they are that they were too scared to have important conversations with their sons, because I think that is a major component of why so many young men are kind of lost right now is that the dads thought leadership by example was enough rather than sitting them right. down and teaching them the core lessons sometimes. I think you're right that there was a lot of fear about having a conversation. And now if you even talk to men who are at least conscious or at least being introspective, there's fear too of making a mistake, right? Or of like infringing. And I don't think that's a terrible thing, to be honest. Like, I don't think that we should live our lives in fear. I, I don't. I think that's like a little bit paralyzing. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a good time for us to do some reckoning and thinking about oh, wow, what if I've done that before, right? Because it's something that I had to kind of think about and I do think about is, man, I've, you know, got on plenty of dates. I I wonder if I've ever put someone in that position. And I'm sure I have almost. Mm -hmm. And how can we admit that to ourselves? But in some ways, this is kind of tying all the way back to empathy because it allows us to now start to empathize with women or other folks who are often the minority who don't have as much power often of how they might just feel in their day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. You know, when there are women or friends of mine or sisters who will say, man, I just don't even feel safe going out on the street sometimes because I'm getting catcalled or I'm being, I don't even know if I can go on this date because I'm afraid of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. We're getting just like a tiny, 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 like minuscule taste of uh, introspection and fear Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, if if anything, this should kind of open our eyes even more to how much women, you know, have to think about certain things and that mm-hmm. we don't often and what kind of privilege that allows us. And I think it's good. I think it's an important part of the, discu- the, the discussion. And the tricky thing here is that there's not a clear line, even when yeah. you're saying no means no, right? Like we're, we're human and it and it's also sometimes very unsexy to say, wait, are you sure? Yes, 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 yes. So uh, we've got to like figure out how to operate in this place that is still honoring others and recognizing our privilege a lot of times. Yeah. And that's something that I've tried to reflect on a lot too is, you know, I am a white cisgendered male. And as funny as I find those conversations sometimes like, oh, you know, we're, we're putting everyone in boxes. It also does allow me to see the privilege that I have by, you know, saying every single point that kind of gives me privilege, especially with what's going on the, with the current moment, um, with all the police killings recently in like the last two weeks that have kind of blown up. And I'm safe compared to black men. Imagine how safe I am compared to a lot of women or black women. And I always think about that as, a, as part of the conversation as well. But I think a lot of young men can feel like when they are placed in that category that they immediately become the antagonizer, the aggressor, despite them being really good men, which is why you have hashtags like not all men, which I completely understand. But I, at the same time, I'm like, you're, you're missing the core piece of this is why you are privileged in this way, not that because you are this way, you are bad. And I think too, so, so many times we connect those two to be the same when they're really 
it's just labeling us as in a position of power and then reflecting on it, not as you're this, therefore you're bad, but we need your help to make everything better. Because I don't think white men can stand around and do nothing and it, the, the world will solve all of its problems without the allyship of people in that privileged position. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that you've made a really good point that it's not enough, unfortunately, just to be aware, but to be able to extend your voice or your platform or your privilege is like an important step for, for, for those of us who have that privilege. Yeah, we've got a lot of work to do, like all of us. And one of the things that I found interesting in my journey uh, with this podcast as well is I've joined like men's groups on Facebook and I follow men's things on, on Reddit. And I always find it really interesting when we come to a conversation about reframing masculinity now. And at the same time, a lot of these men's groups are saying we have to reclaim what was old, but just transform it into a new way. So like men are the powerful force in a marriage but they are still comfortable showing their emotions and it's it's almost like these mix of both the very old and a reckoning of what is new and like what are your thoughts on on kind of combining the old with the new or do you think all of it is new is the way to go yeah that's a good question i'm not sure um it's funny because in my household it was really interesting both my parents are professors Mm. So both my parents, and this was my entire childhood, both my mother and my father were working individuals throughout my entire life. Mm-hmm. And what I saw in my house was a pretty, I wouldn't say it was perfect, but a pretty balanced division of household duties, labor, all these things. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of grew up believing in partnerships and in equality in that way mm-hmm. mainly because to be honest i just saw my mom working way harder than my dad not at home but in their work in her work mm. and to my knowledge they were making the same amount of money too so mm. i was never really taught that like men are supposed to make more money than women that men are supposed to do xyz and women are supposed to do xyz i just i just saw something completely different so i guess in that way i don't know what is old and what is new but i do believe and what I've been taught by my mother is that anything that men can do, women can do often better. Yeah. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> um, and that's just like a, it's just something that I'm learning for myself. And um, I think it just depends on what you want. Uh, it doesn't mean that like, let's say that you want a more traditional household, quote unquote, traditional household, right? Mm-hmm. Where y- your preference is to be the breadwinner and you want to quote unquote, support your family. And your partner, let's say, wants to be a stay-at-home mom or wants to stay at home. Like, if both people want that, that I think that is okay. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think it's up to us to say, no, you have to work and you have to stay home. And vice versa, if there was, like, a woman who's like, I just want to kill my career. I want to be a boss. I want to be a CEO. And I want you to stay home and take care of the kids. And you're like, dude, that sounds dope. I love yeah. kids. I want to, like, do these things at home. That's great, too. I think there isn't going to be a new normal. Rather, we should just be open to understanding that we are all human and that we all should be treated the same. Yeah. I love that too. Cause I think for myself, so 
I grew up like homeschooled. My dad worked from home and my mom kind of was the educator of my family until we kind of all went to high school. She went off to work. But I feel like kind of in my family, I, I hope my, my, my brother and my dad don't get mad at me for saying this, but I feel like the women in the house work harder than the men. And <laughs> I, I think, you know, it, it drives me every day. And I've never believed that women aren't capable of doing what men can because I've seen the women in my life do exactly what men can and more, which is was fascinating that you brought it up too. And so I think it, it's so important that women do that, but I also hate that it has to happen for men to think that they are just as capable. And then you see, you know, things like gender equality or gender equality or wage uh, equality. And, and obviously there's a lot of nuance to that as well. It's not as simple mm -hmm. as just they're not paid the same. There's, there's a lot that goes into that as well. But yep. I, I think it is so important just as you did to, to have those examples in your life that a lot of young men have that as well, because everyone has a mother, like it doesn't matter literally mm -hmm. at all where you came from. Everyone has a mother and it always hurts to, to see that they are still, whether you're not a mother or not, just a woman, that they are seen as less than when it, it just doesn't make any sense to me in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah. This is a good time to pause and say, make sure you call your mom and say that you love them, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways, my mom was such a great role model to me and my brother and to and there's a lot of the reason why I am who I am today and why I do work as hard as I do. And, and she's still trucking along. She's a, she's a professor of computer science. So she's like killing it in her field. And yeah, I'm really proud of her. Awesome. And, and kind of to open it up. So I, you know, a lot of my friends know Jubilee. I, I allowed them to submit some questions uh, to my Instagram last night because I said I was interviewing you today. And one of their questions was, how is masculinity demonstrated in an Asian household that you feel might be different than, I guess, a white household or a African-American household? What was that like to you? Was that portrayed? And kind of just kind of going into that for a little bit. Yeah, that's a good question. So I'm a Korean-American. And again, my household was very, very, I would just say very progressive or very partnership-based. But I would say historically, Korean households are a lot more patriarchal. So I would spend summers when I was a kid in Korea. And mind you, this was maybe like 15, 20 years ago. So hopefully things have changed. But <laughs> what would happen is, you know, my, my aunt was at home taking care of the kids. My uncle would come home from work. She would be cooking for him. Not only that, though, like pretty much he becomes like the king of the domain, right? Like the daughter's coming out with fruit, serving her uncle, like bringing him a drink. And like, we're watching what he wants to watch, um, mm -hmm. all that stuff. So I know that there are some American households that reflect that too. But I would say like in Korean culture, it was a lot more reflected. And I think a lot of it's because family and... No, it's, I guess it's just very, very old school or traditional. Even like wealth was always passed down to the first son. Mm. So if, if there was like a firstborn daughter, it doesn't matter because the money and, and the inheritance is going to the son. And mm -hmm. I think the reason for that is because there's so much, in a good way, there's so much focus on the family. Like there's not as much of an individual mentality like they have in America, which is like, I need to get what's mine for myself. Mm -hmm. Other, there's much more of this, like for our family's sake. Mm -hmm. But as a result, 
you're not working for yourself. You're working for your family and your lineage and like your entire like tribe then, right? You know, your, your sons and your grandsons, et cetera. So I think that's something that I saw as a very different model and encountered a little bit. And, I, and again, I think that Korea is becoming a lot more modern mm-hmm. and a lot more progressive too. So yeah, hopefully I'm just speaking about a very antiquated example. And do you think, uh, is, is Korea a very like scriptural or biblical place? Because I know even in, you know, the, I guess the Old Testament, it, it's kind of a lot of the same, or I believe it to be the same kind of traditional role of the first male. So is, does, would that have an effect on it at all, in your opinion? Do you think that has an effect on the global ideas of, of masculinity, or is that kind of a, a irrelevant? No, I think that that's definitely part of it. I, I, Korea is a very Christian country, so I think that plays a part of it. I think a lot of it also, there's just so many different things. For example, in Korea, there's like mandatory military mm. conscription. So in a lot of ways, even structurally, like, and, and women are not part of that, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there are different expectations that are brought to men. So uh, it, it's not so easy as to say, oh my God, Korea is so backwards and so misogynistic. It's just, there's so many different things that are part of the culture that have created yeah. this kind of mindset, I guess. And for me, as an American, to be honest, I can't fully speak to it either because I don't completely understand it either myself. Yeah. No, and I think that's really interesting because I actually spent four months abroad in Japan and I thought it was very much of a more collectivist society as well. And... Mm-hmm the American or at least a Western cultures does seem to be a lot more individualistic focus, which we kind of went over a bit earlier as well. But in kind of in regards, I, I know you've spoken out a bit or at least shared your opinions on, on some of the Asian male stereotypes. And I know this is a huge conversation amongst some of my friends that I've had here in, in the Markham Toronto area is that there's almost like an emasculation of Asian men just for being Asian. And I know that there's a there's a lot to that as well. And uh, we, we don't have too much longer here, but I wanted to kind of hear just maybe like a brief idea of your thoughts on that topic as a whole, because I, I think I have a lot of friends that would be interested in, in hearing that. Yeah, I think, again, anytime that you put a large group of people into one box, I think obviously there's going to be a lot of inaccuracy and problems, like a mm-hmm. problematic portrayal. And what I would say for Asian American men Commonly, the characterization is very, very kind of meek, quiet, do what they're told, that kind of stereotype. And I would say that's mainly perpetuated in media. Like how many examples of Asian men or Asian roles do you see that are of like a strong Asian sexy lead or guy lead Mm -hmm. or someone who's not a, you know, mathematician or doctor or scientist? And some of those things are starting to change, but I think it's very, very much about representation. And I think one thing that's cool now is you're starting to see, whether it's pieces of media or films like, you know, Crazy Rich Asians or other things featuring a very much more diverse set of identities for Asian American men and women, so that people are starting to think, oh, wait a second. So not all Asian American men are like this. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think it's just like, it's obvious, but you kind of start to understand why some of these stereotypes might exist. They're so wrong and it's so infuriating, but they exist because they're so perpetuated by the media, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's something actually in the last five to 10 years that I'm starting to see change, which is awesome. 
but yeah. it is very much an uphill battle and it's kind of you know it can be really frustrating sometimes when you when you run into some of those um those stereotypes i would say yeah well i know uh local gta simu lu is is doing amazing work with marvel kim's convenience yeah. is one of my favorite shows too so i mean i know that uh i follow him on on instagram and i've seen some of his content around the conversation too and i think it's very powerful to see that and to see uh the conversations that are happening on on jubilee especially because you know just as we were talking about how what you kind of grow up around can frame your masculinity it can also frame your perception of some of the the more societal issues that some of your friends may face and i've been fortunate enough to to live in a community where i've been able to to witness those and and be part of the conversation and and hopefully a an allied uh allied role and definitely wanted to bring that up for some of my friends because i know that 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 was an important issue that it'd be really cool to talk to you about no, I appreciate it. And we would appreciate you to continue to share with people that Asian men can be sexy too. <laughs> I'll definitely, I'll even title up the name of uh, the podcast maybe. <laughs> but um, no, for real, Jason, uh, this has been an amazing time. Again, just someone I'm, I respect so, so deeply and in my personal life and career-based. I mean, it's one of my missions to create a media company that has kind of the same goals, maybe just in different facets. And it's, it's been inspiring to, to follow that journey. I think I wrote down in my, my journal like a year and a half ago that I'd be able to, to have the chance to talk to you and to so see it come full circle um, has been one of the most rewarding things in my life. Absolutely, man. Well, I appreciate you uh, having me on and, and for this conversation. It's a really important one, a meaningful yeah. one. So I've really enjoyed it and uh, hopefully we'll be back for more. Yes. And Jason, I always allow my guests to share what they got going on in their personal life, what you got going on with Jubilee to kind of promote yourself a little bit and uh, share any news that uh, you have. Yeah. For anyone who's interested in continuing the conversation, make sure you follow us at Jubilee Media. We're posting content every week on YouTube and on Instagram. And uh, for me personally, it's just Jason Wiley underscore um, on all the different platforms. But you know, I'm all about empathy and change. So love these kind of deep introspective conversations. And hopefully we can see a lot of good come out of it. Thank you everyone so much for listening to this week's episode of Imperfect. You can find and connect with Jason on Instagram at Jason Y. Lee underscore. Twitter is the same, Jason Y. Lee underscore. If you want to support the mission of Jubilee, head over to their YouTube channel and subscribe. I'll leave a link to that as well. I'll also leave a link to Jason who gave a TED talk on following your dreams back in 2017. I'll link that as well below. They also have a Facebook Facebook group that I'll link. I'm a part of it. That's kind of how I got access to Jason in the first place and, and met a community of, of other people who follow Jubilee. So I'll leave a link as well. As always, like and subscribe, share with me your thoughts on this week's episode. I'm also going to include links to Black Lives Matter uh, and different ways you can help support that movement as it's something that I believe in. It's a mission that I have personally donated to and support and you know, during this time, I think it's it's important to show that solidarity with them. Thank you again to Matt McClelland, who's my editor uh, for, for my podcast. And then also, please leave a review on iTunes if you enjoy the podcast. Uh, that's it. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into this week's episode. And peace, love, and, and empathy.